New York City. Put your hands together and make some noise for Dave Smith. My team is the team that thinks all politicians are criminals. What do you mean that's a man? That's a beautiful woman with a penis. Could you stop being such a get for like five seconds? Exit left. I wanna suck your dick. Kanye West, mine comp. Next year, you guys are gonna be like, how come Dave's not doing another special this year? The current state of politics is unsustainable, uh, politically, economically. You know, you still have distrust there. We all come from very different places. Man, we don't want the government to do a damn thing. He deserves better. People have to have the information in front of them. It is about supporting, platforming, and, and assisting the people who are out here actually doing the fight. There you go. Like, just promote people who are doing something. Volunteer to work with people who you like. And just take an issue that's important to you and do something. You are part of that declaration against tyranny. This conversation gives me a little more hope for the future. The one, the only. Fight for liberty. This is the cherry on top. Hello, fighters. Welcome back to Fight for Liberty Live on Free Speech Media. I'm your host, David Fight, here to get you fired up about men and women making the world a freer place. We've got the man Dave Smith back in the house tonight, coming in hot off of a new special on his way to Skankfest in a couple of weeks. Super stoked for this conversation. But first, got to give a quick shout out and some love to our sponsors. First up, Blood of Tyrants Wine. If you are looking for a nice night in while sipping the blood of your enemies and taking down the tyrannical state, look no further than Blood of Tyrants Wine. A nice Merlot distributed by activists you know and love. Uh, Bloodoftyrants.wine is the place to go. You can use promo code FSM to get 10% off your first order. Again, that's Bloodoftyrants.wine or click the link in the description. Use promo code FSM to get 10% off. Uh, and support the channel, support the network, uh, and support Dan Berman and other awesome people involved in that project. Uh, next up, we've got Crafton Business Services. Uh, Crafton is dedicated to helping entrepreneurs start, grow, and maintain their businesses by providing a wide variety of products and services to make your business more efficient, manageable, and profitable. Crafton understands how frustrating getting your business off the ground can be, and that's why they've put together their business-in-a-box solutions to turn your idea or side hustle into a fully functioning company in one place for one transparent cost. So for under $1,000, you get your corporate filing, your registered agent, a logo, business cards, marketing strategy, and an accounting consultation. All of that is just $9.99 plus state theft. And if you're looking for a little more than that, add a custom website, web hosting, more marketing material, more time with our marketing team, five times the bookkeeping services and your first box of business cards for $24.99, again, plus state theft. And if you already have a business, Crafting can help you grow to new levels with targeted marketing campaigns, affiliate programs, website and social media redesigns, and more to help make your business less of a headache. Uh, we can do streamlined accounting, tax prep, compliance, and all sorts of other things. Uh, go on over to Crafting.us to learn more. Again, use promo code FSM to help support the show and the network. 
now let's get to the actual show. Uh, we've got our guest tonight here. He is one third of the Legion of Skanks, host of Part of the Problem, the new comedy special out on YouTube and Gas Digital. The man, Dave Smith. Welcome back to the show. What's up, brother? Good to be back with you, David. It is a pleasure to have you back. Uh, so I'm not going to bore anybody with a testimonial question or asking you how you got into the movement or any of that kind of bullshit. I think everybody knows your story. Um, so I'm just going to start off with the thing that's at the top of my list, and that's the special. You've, uh, you've already got over a quarter of a million views in under like two weeks. Uh, tell me about it. How is it? It's been good, man. The response has been really great so far, and so uh, that that's always fun. It's uh, that's always what I wanted to do was like to put out like great comedy specials. That's always been for for so many years. That's been like the thing that I've envisioned in my mind. Like sixteen years, I think now I've been doing stand up, and that's always what I wanted to do. And it was crazy. I like uh, I wanted to do an hour, um. But Louis J. Gomez, who's another hilarious comedian, but he's also runs Gas Digital. He he really wanted to put out these series of half hour specials from the network. And uh he uh he, Lewis is like the guy, like he he's uh he's one of my best friends in the world, and he's also like he's the guy who convinced me to start stand-up and convinced me to start podcasting, which worked out very well for me. <laughs> um and so you know, I was, I was kind of like, all right, man. If Lou, he's like, he was like, really like, no, nah, dude, this is what we got to do. All the analytics say people don't really watch hours anymore. They only watch half hours. So we got to do this. And then he was like, uh, the company will uh, will pay for the production for it. And I was like, that that part's really cool. So like, I just I just bought a house this year. You know, it's like, I didn't really want to pay to produce it myself. So I was like, all right, that part's pretty great. Um, so we ended up doing it this way. But I was, uh, I've told this story before. But I was in a, I mean, it's just, it's something like out of a fucking sitcom. But literally, I remember in, it was, it was either the last week in February or the first week in March in 2020. And I was in Boston uh, headlining a, a comedy club. And I was there with uh, Rob, Robbie Bernstein and my, my buddy uh, Chris Vega. They were opening for me on the show. And I got off stage on, on, and and I went back into the green room and they were both like, they were like, yo, dude, the hour is like come, really coming together. And I was like, yeah, guys, I got it. This is my new special. I was like, I need two months of just fine tuning a couple things and I'm ready to film this bitch and we're going to do it. And this is going to be my follow up to Libertas and I'm excited about it. And uh, I was literally like, I was literally it's just sitting there like at the beginning of March 2020 going, all I need is two months of working this thing out. I mean, what's going to happen? Are they going to shut the world down? <laughs> it was, you know, and like, it just, and then it just all, and then like when March 2020 hits, I'm like, huh, all right, well, it might be a couple months without being able to go on the road and do shows. So I was, I'll just wait this thing out and then we'll be ready to go. And then, you know, by the time the lockdowns went into like three, four, five months and the COVID thing was so crazy and it was like, now all of a sudden it, it wasn't just that i had to get back out on the road it was like i had to like bury like half of it because it just didn't make sense anymore like first off now i had to have something to say about covid right. i can't be me and do a comedy special and not have something about this so i had to work that out and then there were a lot of like jokes i had that were just like about like pete Buttigieg running for president that were like yeah well that's that's can't really do that joke anymore you know what i mean and so like and so then that got put off then i was uh planning on doing one in uh 2021 then uh, my wife got pregnant uh, again. I should say, that's a weird way to put it. Me and my wife 
got pre- like I, she didn't just get pregnant with some <laughs> random person like it was it was my baby uh but then then Let's she go. got pregnant That's helpful <laughs> i was like just for, for the record i'm the father in case that wasn't clear the way i said it there so like, my wife comes home she's pregnant all of a sudden uh and then my i had all the health complications as as some of you guys may know about with my my son and so then that was a whole thing where i couldn't really like travel the way you know like i couldn't really travel at all for a while there and so then everything just kind of got put off and put off and put off but then this year it was like okay this is the year uh to do it and i'm going to i'm, I'm going to follow up again next year i'm going to put out another special like this was only a half hour i still got a whole lot more material like uh that that's ready to go so it was cool it's been really cool to get it get it off finally you know after all of these last few wacky years and i've gotten a great response to it so it's 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 been really rewarding that's awesome how much how much different is it recording the special compared to just like doing a normal set is it a lot more pressure with the cameras on yeah i mean yes and no it's a little bit like um yeah it's a different feeling you know you kind of like feel like um when you record a comedy special you kind of feel like this moment of like this is like it's kind of like part of your legacy as a comedian like this is going to be the one you know and it's not exactly that because what we did with you know we recorded two shows that's typically how comics do it uh not always but typically it's like you record two shows of you running the same material and then you can kind of like pick which one you want to go with and then you can you know like there's like it's mostly one show the special but then there's a couple jokes where it's like oh no that was actually from a different show than the first you know what i mean Mm -hmm. what what most of the show is from because you just i I like the way i said it a little bit better or i like the reaction a little bit better on that one so it's like it's it's a yeah there's there's definitely like a different a little bit different type of pressure it's not just like an everyday show it's like no this is the one but i got i really like that I like those um I like those moments. It's kind of uh to me why I always loved uh like why I love doing debates. Um cuz you kind of feel like I I always get the feeling like whenever I would do whenever I do a debate, like I've done a lot of debates, you always kind of have the feeling of like yo, I'm uh I'm putting my career on the line right now. <laughs> you know? Like I'm putting everything I have on the line. Like if I go and get fucking embarrassed in this debate, that is deadly for me like now it's all my people are going to look at me like whoa dave was supposed to be the guy and now he just got destroyed by this guy but there's something kind of exciting about that that's like fun it's like ooh, this is it i'm putting everything you know it's like a gambling like thing like i'm putting all the chips in on this and i kind of felt that way with the special too like i kind of enjoy something that just makes this like a big moment like you feel really alive when you do stuff like that so I, I like that type of stuff, so that was that was fun. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a different, definitely a different feeling than just any regular show. Yeah, I definitely I, l- I like what you're saying there with the with the debates because I feel like debates uh, are kind of like like boxing or MMA compared to like podcasting being like baseball, where it's like you know you're doing <laughs> like a hundred to two hundred a year. It's just kind of like you know the average kind of thing. You're just kind of having a conversation, doing whatever you know. Uh, but then where, where the debates, it's like every one of them is like, you know, you're currently undefeated. You're, are you going to continue to be undefeated? You're only doing like two or three years. It's like such a big fucking deal. And yeah, yeah that's that's why I prefer hosting them. It's not nearly as much pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there's something there's just something cool about that kind of feeling to me. Mm-hmm. You know, like I like I like having um, and, and I also I feel this weird thing 
where um you know like uh, uh when I, I i did a thing with the um the uh what, what are the, the classical liberal caucus guys mm. where i went on i went on their show with um uh i i'm i i shouldn't be blinking on their names but uh, uh e- eagle uh, uh what's his, eagle what's his and jonathan Casey. josh eagle and jonathan uh and so I went on on their show, and I, we talked about it briefly up front. But that, uh, it, like, a, a couple people were like, "Oh, dude, why even like give them the the attention? You're just putting more eyeballs on them." And it's like, yeah, but like, if they wipe the floor with me, then that then I'm supposed to lose. You know what I mean? Yeah. Then it's like, no, like it's almost like that's the correct thing if that happens. But like, I'm confident they won't. So let me. I think I'm right. Like, I think I'm right about this. And in that case, I certainly am right that we shouldn't be in a proxy war <laughs> with uh, Russia. Um, right. But so it's just kind of like, you know, like, I, I don't know. I feel like there's this weird thing where it's kind of like I feel like it's kind of noble to put it all on the line. Mm-hmm. But it's also kind of exciting and risky. And I just I like that. You know, I've, I've always, you know, I chose a long time ago. I don't want to, like, work in a fucking cubicle. I want to do something like exciting that I love for for a career and so i like i enjoy that i enjoy the excitement of those type of moments yeah i feel like if you don't if you don't uh like kind of stand up to especially like the clc specifically it's kind of like biden refusing to debate marianne williamson it's like does he have half a reason to to do that if he kind of sort of yeah saying like she's she's a nobody or whatever but it just looks weak and and it is weak from his perspective and yeah if you're if you're like oh no we 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 won now we don't have to debate anymore that's that's not exactly a great standpoint especially yeah. not in politics where i mean i suppose it's always like a little bit of um you know like there's some nuance to it and there's i'm i'm sure there's some you know like if if there was just some complete rando who had like you know what I mean? Like yeah. somebody with like two followers who's just like, I challenge you to debate on some ridiculous topic. You kind of be like, yeah, no, this is a waste of time. There's got to be like some level of like where it was. And but, you know, if it's like in in that situation, I just went like. I yeah, I don't know, like whatever the threshold is, I go, I, I think they met it and I feel like they're kind of um, it, almost this, uh, you know, like there, there's this weird thing with the classical liberal caucus where there's something that i respect about them and there's something where there's they're like they're almost like they're the insurgency now starting from like the very bottom and i'm like oh yeah okay i remember it's not that long ago that but like i was the insurgency you know what i mean and so like i kind of i i can respect something about them also where you know michael heiss had this uh he he had a a post like um, maybe like around a year ago or something like that, where he said um, he said to like the Mises Caucus haters, he goes, here's my challenge to you guys. Uh, rally around Amash. Rally around Justin Amash. Run Justin Amash for president. And let's see, you know what I mean? Like, let's all like bring energy into this and like have a competition about like which direction the party should go in. And at the time, I think maybe some people thought Justin Amash was going to run. I don't, I don't, think he's going to now no signs seem to indicate he's going to but i don't know um but i to some degree there were like these other guys who just like kind of took their ball and went home and were like well we're just going to whine about things forever Mm -hmm. and they were like no we're going to stay here and we're going to turn this thing into what we want it to be 
and I there's something about that that I respect. Yeah. Like that I just go like, okay, I can get that. I can I can respect where you're coming from with that. The uh, of course my issues with them is that i just think they're like horrifically blue-pilled and like miss the mark on so many of the most important like issues and i also if i'm just being completely honest i don't see them as a threat i don't think um they don't have any of the um the attributes that we had mm -hmm. like they're not they're not an insurgency in the way we were where we kind of had these things where it's like oh well we have all of these like guys with huge audiences we have all of this to like draw off of they don't really have like that but at the same time it's like we're here because we care about ideas and we care about you know what we believe is right and i kind of got the vibe that that's true for them too i just think they're wrong hmm. but so it's like okay like let that's enough let's that that's worthy of going like okay this is worth doing a thing yeah. and like I'd, I'd do another thing with those guys if if they wanted to like i don't know i just that that to me feels like the right thing to do yeah i agree yeah and uh i i actually i was I, i've been a critique of heist plenty of times publicly and privately but like uh i was in a clubhouse room the other day somebody was kind of giving him shit, and i was like you cannot d deny the fact that homeboy from almost nothing just called up Dave Smith, Tom Woods, the Mises Institute, and a bunch of people who he may or may not have gotten like a door slammed in his face or laughed off of the fucking planet and made a thing happen that no one was really thinking about. And I don't know, that takes some balls, especially for like, you know, like not talking shit, you know, kind of like a shyer, autistic, more introverted type person like himself or, or myself and like plenty of the movement that that takes a lot a lot of balls and a lot of determination you guys fucking did it and that's like regardless of what anybody feels about the actual caucus itself like that's cool yeah i mean like i always think you know whoever like i, I always have the attitude and i mean with like enemies like not like intra-libertarian party fighting i mean like real enemies like barack obama or donald trump like the bad guys you know i always like look at them and go hey that's pretty impressive what they accomplished what can I learn from that? You know, like what? Wow. What can I learn? You know, it, it, go go listen to Barack Obama give a speech in his prime. And you're like, yo, there's something you can learn from that. Like he's an incredible like order. That That's something. Or go listen yeah. to like Donald Trump and the way he tore through politics. There's something you can learn from that. You know what I mean? And so like it's it's kind of this weak thing where people try to like almost deny somebody like the objective accomplishment. That, that they have and instead of doing that like live in reality and even if you hate the mises caucus at least acknowledge like okay well that look michael heiss was just some dude and he literally orchestrated a takeover of the third biggest political party in america that is objectively impressive you know like even if you don't like him at all or don't agree with the direction the party's going in like that is like hey he did something here there's there's definitely something you could learn from that and take away from that, even if you d disagree with the direction and think the party should go in a different direction. And, you know, we, we look, we live in wild times right now. And so obviously there's going to be different people who feel like we should be playing a different role, you know, as, as this third party. But that doesn't mean that you can't like, um, I don't know. I would, uh, I don't, I don't think there's any one of like the people who are successful who I don't agree with, who I wouldn't say, okay, there's there's definitely something there that I could try to learn from yeah. that and, and make myself better.
Yeah, and I think like the biggest takeaway is you know what we've talked about of like the kind of the amassing the people that already have the audience. That's a takeaway that the party as a whole, the movement as a whole, can just widen the net now. You know, we did the whole you know bringing the liberty movement into the liberty part libertarian party thing. Now bring the next rung of the the tent in. You know the the somebody can finally convince Michael Malice to join a political party. That would be a, <laughs> that would be an accomplishment. Uh, Th- just kidding. I, I don't be. think that's ever going to happen. But there's plenty of others out there. You know, there's especially like in the comedy world or the music world. There's a lot of uh, of that sentiment that's getting louder and louder now. You've got uh, people like um, why do I always space on his name? Uh, Schneider. Uh, who's like posting Mises Institute links on a daily basis? Like, k- keep it going. Like, uh, I think I think that's honestly my biggest biggest gripe with the caucus is that they went, okay, we're gonna go this wide, bring all of these people in, and then they just stopped there. They created a line that was just like a little bit past like you and Tom Woods, and then they were just like, okay, that's it. <laughs> yeah, well, I do. I- I'll tell you this that um, that Michael for sure is always. Tr- like making attempts to bring it this next group. Here's this next group. Here's the metalcore scene. Dude, they are fucking, there's a lot of liberty shit there. We got to bring those guys in. We got to bring these guys in. And like, he's always like making attempts. And I think like, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's a challenge to get all of those different groups in. But I also just think that I think if I, my, my biggest gripe with LP members and I would talk about this a lot as I was kind of like traveling around doing a lot of like, uh, you know, state conventions and stuff like that, uh, like a couple years ago. And I would always be like, listen, just make sure whatever you do, don't just camp out in this world and like not engage in the broader world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's um, it's th- there's there's a it's almost like a natural tendency when you when you go off into this little club of people who all have these like libertarian views that like you know you 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 know uh, look I'm by the way I'm not saying I didn't obviously right like through through 2020 and 2021 and 22 I had debates with other libertarians and I was involved in like the caucus wars and arguing with all of them but at the same time that was always like the least of what I was doing like that was just like a, an occasional show here or there what i was really doing every day if you listen to my podcast every day it was never about that it was always about like whatever the crisis of the day in the country is and the bigger issues and i was always trying to get on like bigger shows and talk about like these issues to their audiences i never i'm never getting on like tim Poole's show and going all right well let me tell you why the pragmatists aren't as good as the radicals or like whatever like because that's just that's not what it's about and you're like sitting in this moment where the whole like there's this enormous realignment of everything happening politically in this entire country over the last three years like it's it's out of this is out of a movie something no one could have predicted and you know, I, I mean, whatever, we don't have to go through all the things, but you know, everyone knows what I'm talking about, how yeah. crazy things have been over the last few years. And there's just, there's, there are some people in the Libertarian Party who have like parked themselves in this, what is the Libertarian Party, you know, thing of the day? And that seems to be kind of all that they're doing. 
Yeah. And you're like, guys, like, like engage with the broader world here. Look, I don't know. Like, do we really believe that what's going to happen is eventually the Libertarian Party is going to overtake the Democrats and the Republicans and win the presidency and the Congress and the, you know, the, the appoint Libertarians to the Supreme Court and then we just, you know, I, I don't know. But maybe what we can do is at least like plant a flag and impact the greater culture and at least like. It, you know, like get our issues inserted into a national conversation and at least like kind of move, you know, with all of our might move the needle a, a few ticks over toward, you know, toward more freedom. So that's but that's only going to happen if we're willing to like engage with the broader world. And I do think that LP members tend to um, lose sight of that. A hundred percent agreed. Honestly, you know, I gave I give Heist uh, props. I'll give Sarwark props too. Uh, just go completely out of the out of the playbook today. Um, he did an uh, an interview on uh, Kennedy's podcast uh, a little while ago, like from Fox uh, Business Kennedy, and uh, she was talking about like the the LPI stuff that he's doing in Mississippi right now. I mean, he's I ninth, I'm pretty sure he's working within the the Democratic Party at the moment, working on like some state house races. Uh, doing some objectively kind of cool stuff like LP like or like libertarian principled stuff um, but she went on like a little bit of a rant about how awesome Spike Cohen is and I know that there's beef there right like there is there's some bad beef between Spike and Nick and like she set him up to where he could have done just like a slight little underhanded dig and tried to move on or, or pivoted but he didn't he like he was like yeah spike's doing great and pivoted to the thing and continue the conversation it was an entirely productive like good conversation it was only like a 16 minute episode or whatever but um it was just like completely solid he, she set him up for like he could have been like oh well i don't i don't know about that but or something like that and he didn't and i was like all right that's better than you were two years ago so <laughs> yeah no that's interesting i mean i i don't know i didn't i didn't uh listen to that i also i'm i'm almost certain that kennedy is completely unaware of that so she was probably just you know what i mean like oh, kennedy's yeah, just completely. like oh, almost going like oh you're a good libertarian here's another great libertarian and has no idea kennedy's great by the way like one yeah. of my favorite people in the world um it that's that's great that's great that he handled that that way you know there's um there's there's a lot of things where like you know, sometimes there would be, let's say, um, and I don't, I don't mean this in like an insulting way. I, I'm sure if it, they're listening, it'll come off that way. But I don't know what to call them. But like, like the woke libertarians, or like some of the like more progressive libertarians who like hate my guts. You know, those yeah. whatever you want to call them. I don't mean that as like an offensive term. Just whatever you know who I'm talking about, and I don't know how else to describe them. But like sometimes there'd be some of them who are like after the the Mises caucus took over the party, they'd be like, well, that's it. I'm leaving. I'm going to I'm, I'm joining the Democrats, you know, now or something. And I'd I'd kind of be like, all right, well, go be the best Democrat then. Mm -hmm. Like even even a woke, a woke libertarian is still the best Democrat. Yeah. So like go. OK, so go do that. Go be like the best guy there. Someone's got to be the best Democrat. So like, OK, that's fine. You know, like uh, there's. There, there's just a lot of things like that. Like sometimes like uh, I think libertarians have a problem with that where like there, there'll be someone like uh, like say Tucker Carlson or someone like that who will be like just nailing it on like the, he's like great on the war in Ukraine, great on the Federal Reserve, great on C the CIA, great on Washington corruption, but then like really bad on China and really hawkish on Mexico. 
And it's almost like we have this impulse to be like, no, you got to be perfect on those two also. And you're like, yeah, but then he's a libertarian, <laughs> you know, like then he's us. Yeah. Like, so someone's got to be the best right winger. And like, at least he's a right winger who's telling the right wing to be great on these five things, you know? And like, so, you know, you got to like take it for what it is. And so if someone could go do like good work within the Democratic Party, I'm, I'm not opposed to that. I think we got to have a battle on all fronts. I, I'm not. And I've always been this way. Um, which some people in the Libertarian Party don't like about me, but I've never been like a, a party loyalist. Mm -hmm. I'm not like, you know, I'm 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 a I'm a I'm loyal to my principles. Um, you know, I'm loyal to my family, I'm loyal to my friends, and I'm loyal to my principles. I think that's what's important. I don't think just like the party thing is important. And I've always said this, and I'd continue to say this that like if you know if ron paul is running as a republican and bob barr is running as a libertarian i'm supporting ron paul i don't care i'm not going to go well i'm a member of the libertarian party no screw that i'm supporting that guy and so that you know like that i think that's the attitude all of us should have yeah you know that's what makes us different that makes that's what makes us uh in a way doomed to never actually really beat either of the other parties uh, in a way but it's uh it's what makes us different and what makes us principled and like i mean that's kind of how i feel about like jared polis in colorado i know the colorado lp hates him but i think that's has to do with the fact that he's the object of their anti-government hatred like nobody likes their personal governor no matter where you live um but like, compared to you know like us in new york or california or, or michigan or, or texas or florida or some other states that did some really crazy shit on on either side of the spectrum like he's doing some good stuff he's like cutting back uh, a lot of business regulation he's trying to scale back uh, a lot of taxes in the state he's he's uh he's gone along with the state legislature on some gun stuff but he's been pretty loud that like he doesn't agree with it per se but it doesn't feel like it's his right to go against the will of the people or whatever which is a, a wishy-washy take but uh i was okay with it from tulsi gabbard too uh, and like I caught a lot well, of heat I get, for that too. Like, well, I think that yeah, I get your point. I think the thing with Paulus that makes it a little bit different is that he started going at the Mises Caucus guys. Yeah. So like he was actually tweeting at them, and then that is kind of like a different thing. Like what like you know look, I mean like I've I've praised politicians who I don't like at all when they get things right, even though they're really horrible on other issues. Like I, you know, and again, this was a source of controversy in within the Libertarian Party, but I, I give DeSantis a lot of credit for how he handled COVID in Florida. Um, and I know he was bad for the first few weeks of it, but the fact that he turned around and like, while New York and LA and all these other places were locked down, Florida was no longer and they were, you know, so I give him a lot of credit for that. Um, by the way, he's been a horrific presidential candidate. Like, whoa, Jesus Christ, is it awful? Could you, um, could you have imagined knowing how terrible that was going to be like six months yeah, I'm, ago? I'm predicting not, that? Like, I'm, I'm not that shocked because I always knew he was going to be a terrible presidential candidate. I, I always knew he would make a bad president. This is the guy who, like, goes to Israel to sign bills and stuff. And he was just, he had a terrible track record on foreign policy. Like he was, he was a neocon okay, on foreign policy us, in the house. I could have never have imagined yeah. he would be as bad, just objectively. Oh, from I, okay. That, standards. yes, That's yes. Shocking. That, that point is well taken. But so even someone like me, right? Like it, 
even when I was saying nice things, and I even went as far as saying I don't think the Libertarian Party should challenge him for governor. I think all I think all of the governors who were were decent on COVID are the ones we shouldn't target. You know, we have we have limited resources, and I think we should be reasonable about who we who we try to go after here. But even that being said, as someone who was, had some nice things to say about DeSantis, if DeSantis ever started tweeting at the the Mises Caucus that some like like. Uh, Mises quote and then going you guys don't really understand libertarianism the way I do you know he'd be like what motherfucker what did you just say wait you're gonna tell me I don't know libertarian literature like dude polis I will let's sit down right now let's sit down right now and see who can go chapter and verse that's cute that you pulled out one Mises quote that you don't even understand what he was talking about but like really motherfucker so I think that's part of what happened with them that it's it's a weird thing to have the governor of your state actually like like try to put yourself in the position of having the governor of your state recognizing your caucus within the libertarian party and then going at them like that's pretty wild dude so i think that was a big part of like what, what people were like and i i jumped in on that too because like i can't let a governor talk shit to my caucus and not like jump in on that and be like what what'd you say mr lockdown governor you understand libertarianism better than we do like you know i don't fucking think so so that was part of it but i do i i will grant you that he is definitely like better than most democratic governors and so there is something to be said there for that i know justin amash likes him too i don't exactly know the deal with that but i know i think they're friends or something yeah and i think that like the fact that he does know who mises is and who the mises caucus is in a way speaks to the fact that he's probably closer to being reachable than any other governor in the country. Um, and like, since I'm not in the caucus, I I didn't like that. He didn't attack me. Right. So like, right. I, <laughs> I don't, I didn't feel that he, I just kind of stayed out of that one. I jumped in a couple of, uh, a couple of like the, the way down in the threads when just like a couple of people were being stupid to each other. Cause like the, the unity instincts always kick it. And when I see two of my friends arguing, I try to, I try to like get into it, but, um, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I think that, yeah, I, I, that's definitely justified in that one. Like I, I understand where the Mises caucus guys were coming from. I just like, obviously didn't feel the same, you know, he didn't attack me. So I'm, I'm cool with him still. <laughs> I, I, I get that. I get that completely. Um, it, it would be kind of dope if, uh, Kathy Hoko was tweeting at me. I would, I would, I would be okay with that and, and going after her. Fuck yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I want to talk about uh, kind of, you know, we were talking about COVID and, and the shift and everything that happened there. Kind of rewind a little bit and talk about the shift of, of podcasting from kind of the in-person, you know, in the gas stu digital studio, kind of doing this stuff face to face to now, you know, you've got your whole studio set up. Love the new background, by the way. It's solid. Um, oh, yeah. Thank you. Oh, man, I wish I could remember the name of the handle of the guy who made me. It's such a cool fucking, like, uh, wood art piece that he made. This dude's so dope. I'll fucking send you. I'll find the link and send it to you uh, so you can fucking put it in, like, the, the notes or whatever. But, yeah, he, he's a really great artist. Fuck yeah. So uh, how uh, how much different is it for you? Because, like, I started in 2020 just after the shift started doing this podcast. So almost everything that I've done has been like this. I've done, like, four or five in-persons. So, like, what's what's to you the difference? Do you miss the in-person? Do you like kind of the flexibility of just being able to sit down in a room in your house? 
Uh, I love the flexibility of being able to do it from my house, but we are like, uh, we're, we're starting up as of next month. Like Rob's going to be coming here and doing the podcast and we're going to be doing it like in person again. I, in person to me is like so much better and on so many different levels. And I don't exactly know what it is, but there's some just like human dynamic to it that like, if you were just in this room with me right now and we were actually sitting down together, it'd just be better. Like mm -hmm. I, it's, it's just better. Um, that being said, I do love, like, I, I love, you know, particularly having two little kids. I love being able to like, just literally, you know, just put my kids down to bed and then give my wife a kiss and then come down here and go, okay, I'm going to jump on with David. Like that's, that's very nice to be able to do that. So it's a, you know, it's a, there's, it's a double-edged sword. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I miss, um, in, in many ways, I just miss kind of uh, the before times. <laughs> like I, you know, I, and I mean, my life is very good. I, I'm not like complaining. In many ways, my life is a lot better than it ever was um, before all of the COVID insanity. Um, but I, I was thinking about this a lot lately, just because we just went through another like uh, another 9/11 anniversary, and and I, you know, you tend. I, I was very close to 9/11 when it happened. I was only like I was. Like maybe two miles away from the the trade center and i i remember literally walking like me and my friends got out of school and uh we forged a note i forget who one of the girls who had good handwriting we like forged a note from our parents to get like me and my crew of friends out and then we went and i was on flatbush avenue which is just like it's like right up the road from um the brooklyn bridge and the manhattan bridge and um all the trains were out and so i we literally went out there and there were people walking like dudes in suits covered from head to toe in soot like just gray all over them walking up and like you know watching there, there was still even at that point it was like there, it was like hours after the towers went where there were still like almost like the cloud like the the clouds of the towers there and so you know 9-11 was like a big moment for me i was 18 i think when it happened and um but thinking about it and you know just it it feels to me like we've just been in like an emergency state ever since then mm -hmm. like ever since then it's been like emergency government powers emergency government reaction emergency this and that was all the way up through the financial crisis through like everything after that it was it was always emergency well you know quantitative eating easing is this emergency response and this emergency thing and then covid was like the ultimate you know just emergency powers and just when i think about it and even think about just the in studio stuff i'm like man i just like i kind of like long for a time before these phony emergencies hmm. we could just be normal you know yeah. so that that i kind of miss and i miss um i i miss like uh i miss new york city what it was not what it is now but I miss kind of like the I, I feel I have this feeling of missing the before time. So there is definitely something to that. Although, granted, as I said, I mean I'm not complaining. Like I, I I'm very blessed and fortunate. I have a very good life. But it was, yeah, I do kind I do I do miss those times. I miss doing the show in the studio, for sure. Yeah, I I find it um I find it interesting that like there's there's a lot of podcasts that um. You know, you've kind of been hybrid. You've done a couple of in in the studio, and you you know you said you're gonna go back to more uh, in person, and like Rogan went back to in person almost as quickly as you could f make it happen, and then you know 
where Malice doesn't look like he's ever, might ever do another in-person episode yeah. again. And uh, I feel like, you know, in 2018, if you were doing a podcast and you were like, you know, had somebody uh, zooming in, that was like a, eh, I, I might not even watch that episode because, like, it's going to be a little bit broken up. It's going to be whatever. Now that's the standard. And if you get to watch one that's in person, it's like, oh, really? Cool. <laughs> it's it's yeah. such a weird shift that just, like, the broken upness of this conversation is now just how everybody talks because we did it for so long. We were doing it for work. We were doing it for news and, and literally everything. Yeah, and I think in in a way it kind of gave an advantage to like some of the smaller podcasts mm-hmm. who didn't like have a studio or have something like that. They're like, oh, okay, well, I could do a Zoom show, and now I'm kind of on the same level as what all these guys are doing. So that was there was a cool uh, aspect to that. Ro- yeah, Rogan kept it doing in studio, but he also, you know, he had like the resources. I mean, Rogan had like like a nurse who would come and give everyone COVID tests, you know, like mm-hmm. the, like the rapid tests and shit back when it was really hard to get them, you know, like back when it was like a thing. So he like figured out a way to do it. Um, so I, I get that, but I, there is something that is just, uh, there, there's something that's just better about the in-person ones. It's almost like, uh, it's, it's the difference between like trying to meet somebody on a, a dating app or just like approaching somebody you know what i mean mm. like there's something that's just like more authentic about the old school way of doing it like it's like just go talk to people man like yeah. they're right there like let's go say hi i don't know it's not that crazy you don't have to just like swipe left or right on their appearance there's something so kind of like uh like a little corroding of the soul to do that where it's like i don't know just like go up to someone and say hey how's your day going and then like go from there it reminds me, I saw a post on Facebook the other day. It was like, men these days will literally stare at you from across the room at the bar all night and then go home and DM you, I saw you tonight. <laughs> Yo, that is fucked. That, wow, that is like a great comment on today's society. Man, there's so much about that stuff that fascinates me. Like, I'm, you know, I'm an old man now. Like, I'm I'm 40 and I'm married with kids and stuff. I'm I'm out of the game and removed from the game, which is the correct thing. That's where you're supposed to be mm-hmm. when you're a 40-year-old dad, you know? Um, but that's just so wild to me. It's so hard. It's so alien from what it was like when I was younger. Um, and there is something like... I, I remember I read this article. Shit, I cannot remember this girl's name. But there's there was there's some young girl who uh, has written for Reason uh, a bunch, and she got she wrote an article for the New York Times. I don't know if you know who I'm talking about, but she wrote an article about, like, hookup culture. Um, and she's, I, I want to guess, she's, like, in her early 20s, I, I would guess. And I did I did a podcast on, on it where we, we went over the article because it was just, like, it was kind of fascinating to me in a way. But she was talking about the, the, um, the culture of, like... Um, uh, of uh, like continuous consent and that stuff and how um you know like how how her like you know at at college they would teach them all about rape culture and what consent really means and all of these things and then she was talking about how like uh how the all of her girlfriends are still like miserable in hookup culture and that like they're just not happy or fulfilled by it and there and and her takeaway was kind of like Look, it's really great that we did all that continuous consent thing, but we need to go even further to make sure there's also meaningful relationships. 
And I remember just looking at it and, and like being like, yo, I think like, I really think you're not getting this, that the, the idea of having to like verbally say, do you consent to have sex with me? And then, and not just saying that once, like what a mood killer that is to not just like be picking up on like, you know, like on nonverbal cues and picking up on a mood and picking up on like all these things, which is always what throughout history this has been, but then also to have to keep doing it the whole time to have to keep checking in and being like, am I raping you now? Or am I not? Is this, am I this is like, are we still having fun or am I a violent criminal? Am I still, may I touch your breast? May I touch your ass? May I is so bizarre. And you're, and then to be like, okay, we did all these things, but you know, it's so weird about this is that like women aren't happy. And you're like, that's not weird. Like, of course, women aren't going to be happy with this. No woman wants that. Right. You know, like it's, it's, it's just this obvious thing that like, no one will say is that like, no, no woman wants the guy who she doesn't want to grab her ass to just grab her ass. Right. But every woman wants the guy who she does want to grab her ass to just grab her ass. Yeah. That's like, that's the weird like dichotomy with these like relations. And it's just so bizarre that like, I feel like no one, like what woman or what man wants to be the one who looks across the room, notices someone and then goes and DMs them later that night. Like who really wants that to be the story? Don't you want the story to be that you went over and talked to her? Like, maybe I'm just sounding like a grandpa right now, but like, to me, it's like, isn't that so obvious that like, no, that's not what you want. What you'd want is to just have that real moment and go over. So, you know, I mean, I'm saying for the record, don't just grab her ass, but like go over to her and talk yeah. to her. Then like, see if maybe she wants you to grab yeah. her ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, for the, I'm gonna preface this just because I know that I'm I'm sure there's at least a few hate viewers on this episode. Um, Twelve shots, baby. Let's go. <laughs> I'm gonna preface this. This is not like a victim blaming in any way, shape, or form. But like the problem that I've noticed is that the cultural pendulum is uh, is swinging back the other way, and like the the rape kink mentality is becoming way more popular. It's like. There, there's a growing number of women out there that like want not just for you to grab their ass like a normal person, but like for you to grab their ass even after they say no, like legitimately want that and are posting about that. There's some fucked up people follow me on Twitter, man. Um, like, and it's it's uh, I, it's just something that I've seen getting more and more popular. And and obviously huh. it's like uh, something that people are posting on, like, you know, uh, private anonymous like twitters or tumblr whatever the fuck they're on but um and you know kind of shamed about it uh, and like you know keep it under wraps no one's out here like shouting that this is a good thing per se but there it's something that like especially in the like older gen zers who are now becoming you know like graduating college becoming more more active in that and, and it's just like fucked up <laughs> that, that there well, that's that's interesting the need to go that extra step now because hmm. i feel like as a counterbalance to the, the problem that you're talking about where where so many men are just like incapable of making the first move because they're terrified 
Well, is there's something really interesting about that, right? Like it's got yeah. so like I'm not I'm not aware of that. I don't have my uh, finger to the pulse as much as you uh, in this regard. But <laughs> I but so but there is something kind of like Freudian, right? Like if you repress something, then it reemerges in a more destructive way, right? Like there's something about that, and there is something interesting about if you think about kind of the um the general theme, like you know to, to like a lot of like the kind of like progressive. Uh, you know, like in, in many progressive people's minds, they'd go, hey, back in the 50s or whatever, women were oppressed and subjugated and they were basically like the husband was the boss and they were subservient to them. And now we're fighting for all this liberation, you know? And then what you end up seeing, say, in like porn is like, you know what I mean? Like women literally being like face fucked and then spitting in their face and then coming on their face like it's like holy shit this is like literally the most degrading thing you could imagine that any of these women back in the 50s would have been like whoa that's a woman being degraded you know what i mean and like and then that same woman who's doing that will be like yeah but i'm not like these chicks were when they were being degraded and it's, there's something very bizarre about all of that like it's it's like whoa what's really going on here and like that that to me all of that stuff seems to be like an unhealthy manifestation of, mm -hmm. of this but there certainly is like there there is undeniably like a desire that women that many women have to have be uh to be dominated in some way mm -hmm. and what exactly the healthy version of that is I, I i you know like i think that depends on who the person is but it does seem like it's it's a bizarre thing where the more we suppress this kind of like this dynamic the more it you know in a very freudian sense reemerges i think in in a even more unhealthy version and i think this is one of the areas where libertarian philosophy not policy not politics at all but just like the actual core philosophy of live and let live comes into play because uh, the thing is, like, not all women have that desire that you're talking about. Sure. Most, but not all. And there seems to be this just incapability for society to say most relationships can look like, say, pro I'm sure probably yours. I'm sure you probably wear the pants in your marriage, right? Like, uh, you know, most can look like just a nice, healthy marriage. Uh, but then also there's going to be some somewhere where she wears the pants and and that's okay and that's just like that's fine there's like an 80 20 split and that's just how it works society's just like in fucking capable of of accepting that and then you know the other like 10 15 percent that are never going to get married and they're super happy with that and they're going to live long fulfilling lives completely single like the apostle paul type shit like you know that exists too and and somehow especially the group that grew up reading about the apostle paul can't be like oh yeah that's that's cool if like homegirl wants to just like be single like and uh I, I think you know it's like the the squeakiest wheel gets the grease type mentality created that like the, the massive swing that you're talking about where like the 20 percent of women who didn't want what they had in the 50s because it was oppressive to the women who aren't naturally uh geared for that uh made it to where nobody gets that <laughs> right right no i think that's right and i think it's always there's it's always like overcorrections, you know mm. 
Like if there's a problem in one area, then there's a complete overcorrection that takes it so much to the other area. You know, it's like if if the woke feminist shit is like getting like too big, then there's like the Andrew Tate response where it's like, well, the answer is to fucking be a pimp and have these bitches on webcams and shit. And you're like, yeah, I mean, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> it's not at all actually the correct answer to this. And I think you're right. I think that there's always going to be um, there, there's always a percentage of society who won't fit into kind of like uh, norms, you know, and they live abnormal. And I don't mean that in any sense derogatory. Like I live in an abnormal life. It's just, just I mean, just literally that by the definition, not the norm, you know. Mm -hmm. And so there's always going to be that percentage of people. I think what we've slid way too much into is like demonizing the norm. And and we're, we're now kind of like demonizing the thing that for most people is going to be the best, most fulfilling option for them. And that, I think, is not a good way to live. I don't think we should demonize minorities either. I, I don't think that's the correct answer. I don't actually I, like I don't think like that. I don't think that's helpful for anyone. Yeah. But I do think that like if we're going to choose to celebrate like families that stay together and have kids or we're going to choose to celebrate single moms i think we're better off choosing to celebrate families that stick together and have kids you know what i'm saying like i think it, it we're better off kind of like promoting the norm and then being tolerant of people who de who deviate from that but instead it seems like the only like conversation is between like demonizing everyone who deviates from the norm or deviating the norm or demonizing the norm rather i should say and so like that's just like ah this is all stupid man like that neither of those are the option no neither of those are the answer mm -hmm. and um it's the whole mashup of that is very bizarre it's very bizarre to see like um i, I say it's it's the the woke feminist thing is is very strange and then the count the like manosphere type like response to that is also very strange it's yeah. like none of you guys are getting this right. And it seems like everybody's kind of LARPing to some degree. Like, I don't really think any of you guys are actually this. It's like all that, like, Except for even, Andrew even like, Tate. I believe every fucking word he says. Oh, <laughs> oh no. I, I mean, I think he's being his real self. Oh, yeah. Although I think he is kind of downplaying some of the shit he did. But I do. But there are like these chicks now who will come out and their whole thing is being like, women should only be housewives and they should never like women should never talk. We, we, we shouldn't even be allowed to vote and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, OK, all right. If you believe that, cool. Shut the fuck up then <laughs> and go away. What the fuck are you doing talking about politics, woman? Like, get in the kitchen. What are you doing here? What the fuck are you doing being an influencer? Okay. Oh, like, oh if my you, God, if that's you gonna really get believe clipped. that, well, if you really believe that, then, like, okay, go be a traditional woman or whatever you're saying. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of bizarre that you're even in this position then. This is a pretty masculine role that you're in here telling everybody about what should happen and shouldn't happen so what are you even doing here then so it's all all kind of like bizarre and a lot of these things like i don't really believe it i don't really believe all of these people i don't really think any of these people here are being genuine yeah but it's been a but it is interesting to see how much of it like uh a cultural force this this movement has been yeah I, I feel the same way about the like you know basement dwelling virgins that talk the the male side of that same thing. It's like oh you should get married and have kids. It's like 
Yeah. Okay, go. <laughs> the women yeah, aren't like in your basement, that. or at least I fucking hope not. Right? <laughs> <laughs> they might be. That's the problem. Right. Uh, yeah. No, I think there's there's a lot of that. It's very easy for and look, there's a, like we all know this, right? Like there's a lot of like people on Twitter, um, who and I like or on social media in general. And I, I mean, I try my best to like not be this, although I'm sure I'm I'm a little bit guilty of it too, and everyone is. But there's there's a thing where like you know, like, you'll see, like, guys, and I mean, this is true, like, very kind of low-status guys who will, like, kind of talk shit, but, like, like fighting words, like, really crossing the line of talking shit to other guys on Twitter. I mean, you'll, dude, you'll see this with UFC fighters. Like, a UFC fighter will get, will, will lose, and he'll be like, well, you know, it didn't work out my way tonight, but I'll be back in the ring in a, in a few months and blah, blah, blah. And there'll be guys on Twitter who are going, yeah, you're a fucking bitch and blah, 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 all this shit. And you're like, yo, dude, you would never in a million years be able to, you know, like you would never say this to this guy's face. But you're the guy who's never called another guy a bitch to his face in your life, but you're getting a thrill out of doing it when there's no risk involved, you know, like you can just do it from the safety of being in your underwear at home and, and do it. And like, th so there's this weird dynamic where people kind of like, they get to play a character online and, and do things that they would never do in real life. And so there's a lot of that on all sides. And this is true in politics and all this shit. And there's, there's something about that that's not healthy mm -hmm. because you're kind of almost like, you're building up this persona that you're not, but you're not living it. And that's not good. That's not good for the soul. Yeah. I think the, the like clubhouse and then Twitter spaces, uh, amplified that shit heavy too. Mm -hmm. Cause you get quadruple the endorphin rush of actually calling somebody a bitch out loud. <laughs> like where they're listening, like on a, on a phone call type thing. Cause especially most of the time, if if you're on a phone call with somebody that's still somebody that you might run into where this is kind of the first right. time where you can basically just be on a phone call with whoever the fuck and talk that kind of shit and like i still hang out on clubhouse every once in a while and and i'll i'll go into some rooms where they're just going way above and beyond even some of the shit that i see huh. on twitter sometimes and it's like these guys think that they're so fuck and i mean in in all reality a lot of them are you know, people who have gotten like a lot of, or at least they claim, you know, most of them are like vets and, and, and you know, fighters and, and, you know, train and, and all of this other stuff, supposedly. Um, but they will just talk some of the absolute wildest shit to each other. And I'm like, you guys live on different continents. Just stop. <laughs> <laughs> He's in Australia. <laughs> like, just stop talking. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, 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 uh, yeah, I don't know about that, but I've, I've experienced definitely a lot of like people like just like saying things where you're almost kind of like, okay, listen, man, like, wh what are we doing here? Like, why are you, you're even taking it to this level? Like, what are you trying to do? Yeah. Trying to fist fight or something like that? Like, we're both 40. Right. What are you talking about? Like, it's it's just very bizarre. Yeah. The internet, you know, there's a lot of great things about the internet, but one of the weird things about it is that it, it removes a lot of, you know how, like, um if you, like, if you eat fruit, that's really good for you, but if you drink fruit juice, that's not good for you? Because, mm -hmm. like, you don't have the fiber with the sugar? 
Yeah. So like if your body's just getting the sugar without the fiber, it doesn't process it the same way. And it's kind of like that. It's like we're having the communication, but like we don't have the fiber here. Like we don't we don't have like the element of us both talking to each other in face to face where it's just like, oh, you probably wouldn't cross this line because you know like yeah, we'd probably fist fight if you said that to me face to face. So you wouldn't do that. But anyway, it's just a weird dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know exactly what I'm talking about. People t- acting wild on a Twitter space. I've had some experience with that. But I had to say that. I had to literally say that thing. I go, listen, man, come on. You wouldn't talk to me this way mm-hmm. if we were just talking. So let's, like, let's not part, do this now. You're wrong. I watched him do it face to face at Porkfest. <laughs> Uh, um there was a there was a dude going on a on a uh an anti-vaxxer rant uh that basically his, his the 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 subject of his rant was um uh the vaccines gave my daughter autism then the covid vaccine killed her so we should all join the democratic party and vote for rfk jr so that it's rfk jr versus trump and that way we know somebody good will get elected that that was his rant um hmm. And Kaufman was just like, you're a fucking idiot. Uh, and this dude, uh, like, actually had to get physically removed from the stage <laughs> because Jeez. he was about to jump over the table and fist fight Jeremy Kaufman. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> so I think he would have, he might have actually said that shit to your face. I don't know. He's well, depends on how much he's. I may to... have had to be removed. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but back to the uh, the subjugation of women and stuff. Uh, mm, you've got yes. Skankfest coming up here, uh, September twenty ninth, yes. October to October first. Um, which is more fun, Skankfest or all the LP state conventions combined? Oh, Skankfest! <laughs> I mean, I love I love LP conventions, and they're fun in their own way. But dude, Skankfest for anyone who's been there. Skankfest is a fucking party, dude. Like it's just it's it's incredible. It's it's the best comedy festival in the world. There's I challenge you to find anyone who's performed there or anyone who's gone to it who would not agree with me. Like I'm not sure. I don't think you could find anyone mm-hmm. who's ever performed there or ever gone to it who wouldn't agree. That's the best comedy festival in the world. It's just like a three and a half day party with like some of the best comedians in the world. It, it's an unbelievable environment where, you know, for all the like the people who don't like us or whatever, like whatever they might say about us, it's like a love fest. Everyone loves each other. The fans love all of the comedians. The comedians love all of the fans. It's just like an unbelievable, like positive energy. I mean, it's a little wild, you know, like people are doing wild shit, but I, you know, even if you're not like, I don't really do wild shit these days anymore. I'm not like a big, like, like drug guy or party guy, but it's just so amazing. The shows are great. The, 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 it's, it's, it's also cool for me. Cause like, we like, um, you know, like I like when I, when I started out in stand up comedy, there'd be like this whole crew that we were all together all the time. Like we just every single night we all did stand up comedy together. Every night we all hung out together. And like my best friends in the world were like all we just all it was like um uh me and Lewis and Jay and uh Nate Vargetzi and Mike Vecchione and like Kurt Metzger and uh like all these guys and, and like Mark Norman and Sam Morell and all, all these guys, we were all just like 
like friends and we just always were doing shows together and we got, but now we've all kind of grown and we do our own things so what happens is at skank fest it's like all of us together again and like that's really cool so it's just like hanging out with all my great friends from like years past who like you know we don't like we just don't hang out like that anymore because we all have our own shit going on and so that's great i always just have the best time there man I'm really, really excited. As it's getting like closer to it, I'm I'm just getting really, really hyped for it. If you ever get a chance, anyone listening, if you ever get a chance to come to Skankfest, if you're a fan of stand-up comedy, you're gonna love it. It's it's the best comedy festival that's ever been made. Fuck yeah! Uh, you mentioned Mark Norman. I'm just gonna. I, he is very quickly becoming my fa- my favorite comedian. <laughs> like I keep watching his Mark. shit. He's fucking fantastic. Mark's uh, an Mark's uh an incredible comedic talent. Yeah. And I uh, I watched the uh, the Legion of Skanks episode like uh, I think a week week and a half ago that uh, you were in Austin and he just like showed up randomly uninvited and just sat down pulled up a chair. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, oh I, I actually I didn't see that episode. So you've seen an episode I haven't. Yeah yeah yeah. That's, yeah I was out uh, promoting the special and doing Rogan's mm-hmm. uh, podcasting club. But yeah oh I didn't see that. I didn't even know Norman Puck popped into that one that's cool yeah he i think he didn't show up much after michael che because michael che showed up f- super fucking late um uh, but mm. I, I actually uh at pork fest i i bumped into this couple like on on day two uh i don't even remember what we were doing where we were at uh but we just like started hanging out started talking started smoking weed together and then spent a solid half of the rest of the festival together as like the three or kind of like five of us there was like another uh group of people that were just kind of like there the whole time they found the libertarian party because they went to skank fest and have gone to skank fest for years and love you love robbie love everybody there uh follow gas digital followed your guys's joining of the mises caucus into the libertarian party um and you know like showed up to uh lp michigan convention 2021 2022 you know uh and then went to the national or i don't think i don't think they went to reno but they were still uh you know kind of helped helped the the takeover wing and you know not not super like diehard caucus war of any kind but just like these are our people these are the people that brought us into the the movement so obviously we're gonna we're gonna do what dave says because fuck yeah (laughs) But literally, like, yeah, they they got introduced to libertarian philosophy through Skankfest, so that's pretty. Well, I'll tell you, there's, it's it's so bizarre, right? So there's a whole bunch of people who I've met over the years who found Legion of Skanks from part of the problem, like who were like, oh, I came in, or or like, you know, however they came in, oh, I found you on Rogan, and then I loved your political shit, and then I listened to part of the problem, and then I was like, oh, this guy's on a comedy podcast too, let me check that out, and then we oh, we fell in love with the comedy podcast, and then there's a ton of people who come over the opposite way. Like, oh, we loved Legion of Skanks, and we loved, we thought it was so funny. And then we were like, Dave does this political podcast, too? All right, let's give it a shot. And then listen to that, and then we're like, oh, he's actually making a lot of sense. And so there's, like, this door both ways, which is very bizarre to me. But what's so funny, too, is that there's so many people who go, oh, I came in from Legion of Skanks. I loved the story about like whatever, you know, like Lewis banging, you know, like three chicks or like, you know, him sticking a gun up Jay's butt or something like that. And then we were like, oh, Dave's great. He has a political podcast. Let's go check that out. And then that's how they came into this libertarian world where I am called 
a fucking right wing fascist or something like that. <laughs> you're like, well, dude, I just brought these people in on this threesome story into libertarianism. So like, I don't know if it's completely fits that world, but weird, weirdly, there is a lot of crossover um, in both of those directions. And there is a certain like angle where they all kind of do fit together that I, you know, like believing in liberty and I believe in like, and I'm kind of against like woke PC culture and I'm for like comedians just like being comedians and having free speech to say what they want to say. And that all kind of does tie in together in some weird way. So there's something where I think the type of person, not always, but the type of person who's into my thing on one side is probably going to be into my thing on the other side. Obviously there's exceptions to that, mm -hmm. but that that's that's been very interesting for me to see over the years. Like the people like which way they came in and the ones who like both and stuff like that. And you know, they'll you'll see at Skankfest, there'll be people who are literally like, you know, it's like a range from like people who are like, Hey dude, like I, I was a meth head for years and listening to Legion of Skanks was like while I was getting clean was really helpful. It's great to be here at Skankfest. And then there'll be like someone else there who's like, I was reading Ludwig von Mises. And then I heard about Skankfest. And like it's just it's it's crazy. Yeah. I feel like part of part of my goal here tonight is to push people through that door from the the politics into the comedy side. Cause like so many people in the LP could use a little bit more comedy in their life. <coughs> and like a lot of a people in the more L of that a lot of, a lot vibe. of people in the LP could use a little bit more um a, a little bit more of a release in their life. Yeah. And yeah, I think comedy could be one of those. Yeah. And I uh, I mean we we talked about this the last time you were on like 2 years ago about how comedy has always kind of been that that libertarian vibe since its kind of origins in the 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 30s and 40s and uh it's always been a viable method to to reach people that I think the liberty movement for the, as a in the like organized version, you know, uh has just completely ignored for the most part. Like I think yeah. um, George Carlin has done more for liberty than most libertarian politicians. Uh, maybe the, I, there's probably a few exceptions that I would put above him, but he's up there on the list of like waking people up and shoving the red pill down people's throats. Oh and, yeah, like, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. And and like he would have never have joined the LP per se, but like if the LP in that day had actually like tried, maybe like and yeah. and like really like kind of attached had him perform at the national convention in like 88 when Ron Paul was running for president or something like that could you imagine those two on a stage together like and we can do that kind of shit now and uh we're starting to a little bit like uh, there's plenty of people uh like yourself who are doing a lot more of that and uh, I think the movement is is finally starting to give them the recognition that they should uh, but we can do a lot more. <laughs> I want to do yeah, a lot more. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Completely agree. Uh, so whose idea was it to do like a whole uh, festival behind like Skankfest and everything? It was Lewis. It was all, everything was always Lewis's idea. It was his <laughs> idea. And there, there was, you know what happened was there was this, uh, this like woke comedy festival. It was like right when the podcast, when Legion of Skanks was starting to take off a little bit. And there was this like some woke comedy fest. I can't remember what they called themselves, but they were doing this thing where like a, a few comedians 
started this comedy festival. And when they say comedy festival, it was like no thing. Like they rented one little venue and they were like, hey, we're having a comedy festival here. And they did this thing where they, they were promoting it as like a woke thing. And what they said was they, um, if you were a comedian and you wanted to submit to it, it was, I don't remember the exact price point, but it was something like there was a submission fee of like $100 if you were a straight white man. But if you were a woman, you only had to pay seventy-seven dollars because you know, like, because women only make seventy-seven cents of the dollar or whatever. So you get cheaper. And if you were a black guy, you only had to pay whatever. And if you were like a what, whatever. If you were gay, you only had to pay whatever. So like, it was like tiered on like who was most oppressed and who was. And we were all like, "Yo, what? <laughs> You're just charging comedians." to submit to your festival. You're not doing anything for social justice. You're just making money off these like broke comedians. You know what I mean? It's like you get like 500 submissions and then you make a ton of money and then you like, you know, like pass a few of them on and do some bullshit show. And then Lewis was just like one day, literally I think it was on the podcast. He just goes, you know what? We're going to do our own festival and we're not going to charge anyone anything to submit because that's bullshit to charge comics money so we're gonna sell tickets and then we'll pay all the comics how about that and we're more woke than you so that like kind of that, that was almost like how it started and then we just did one and it was just at the creek in the cave the first gang fest ever was at the creek in the cave which was where this this kind of this comedy club where we used to do the show and it, it had like uh it had a few rooms like there was a big showroom upstairs and then like a little showroom downstairs and then there was a big backyard area and we were like we'll just do that and do podcasts and stand-up shows and all that. And we sold, like, maybe 300 tickets or something like that. So it was like the, that little comedy club was packed. <laughs> and it was just so cool. It was, like, the coolest thing. It was like, oh, yeah, look, all these people came out, man. This is pretty incredible. We were all just drinking together and partying and having fun. And it was just, like, a, a good time. And then, like, every year, it just kind of got, like, bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So every year has been the biggest skank fest. And this year is going to be like by far the biggest one. Um, so now it's like a thing where like thousands and thousands of people are coming and it's like, uh, and we're doing it in Vegas again this year, which I'm excited about, but that was it. That was kind of the life of it was just kind of like this Lewis idea. And then we all kind of were like, yeah, that is a good idea and got behind it just like everything else. Um, and then it just kept growing. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the like entrepreneur slash like sticking to the bit com comic lover in me kind of appreciates the woke comedy thing the the like right. charging the different things just being like out in the open about it like that and just like doing the thing the, the part of me is like that's fucking great like that's kind of well it's always, well my thing is always, it was like look fine rip off young comics but don't like <laughs> tell me how noble you are while you're ripping off young comics but i guess to your point there is something you go like that is pretty balls that is pretty <laughs> like you're really going for it not good for you yeah I, and like again, like kind of like the polis thing. Like I guess I didn't. What as you were telling that story, my my head didn't go. You're ripping off young comics. My head went. You're you're doing something funny because I've never been a young comic trying to like do stuff like that. And sure, who would, who sure, would have sure. Fallen for something like that. So like, my brain didn't go there at first. But um, but yeah, I don't know. The it's I I do appreciate when progressives just like say the quiet part out loud and and stick to it. It's a, it's a fun thing. I get that. Yes. Um, who are you most excited to see at Skankfest? Who? That's a tough. That's a tough one, man. I'm a, uh, you know, 
Like I don't think he I don't think he's coming this year. Nate Bargatze came last year. I don't know if he's coming back this year. But that was who I was most excited to see, and who who is to me like the, one of the greatest comedians in the world. But just just on a friendship level, that's who I'm. You know what I mean? Just because like I love that guy. He's like a brother to me. Um, so that's that's who I was excited to see last year. Um, I don't know. I'd have to like look up and down the lineup. You know, like it's I I don't know. It's more what I'm excited about seeing is not just like as a comedian necessarily is just who who I'm like, oh shit, I haven't fucking hung with that guy in forever, so it'll be great to see him. But as a comedian, I'll say last year, just watch, watching Dave Attell um, perform, I, I like to me, I think Dave Attell is like the greatest comedian in the world. And he's just, I, I remember just sitting there watching him last year at Skankfest, where it was just like, God damn, that was so much fun to just sit and watch the Dave Attell set. Um, you know, like on a show, like to actually get, which I don't like get the chance to do anymore, but I used to a bunch, but to be like, David tells on, I, I'm not on for another, like, you know, 30 minutes or something like that. I'm just going to sit here and watch his set and just watch it and be like, yo, this is incredible. But I don't know. I'm like, uh, I don't know if there's one person I, I, I think of, I don't even know exactly everyone who's coming. I was looking at the lineup the other day, but I don't, I don't even remember. I'm kind of. It's not even like one specific person. It's more just kind of like the hang is what I'm excited for. Fair enough. Fair enough. Do you go? Uh, do you watch comedy a lot? If you're not like, if you're not performing that night, do you go out and watch other people? No, not anymore. I used to a ton, but like, you know, it used to be a different thing. I used to be going into New York City and just doing sets every night where you do these like sh what they call showcase shows in new york city where it's like everyone's doing like a 15 minute set you know what i mean and there's like a whole bunch of comics on the show oh, but yeah. now i'm just kind of going out on the road and doing headlining shows so like i i watch robbie the uh, i watch rob bernstein a bunch and <laughs> see like the new thing he's developing or the new thing he's coming and i enjoy watching him um but i'm not really like watching that much comedy i might watch like the guy who's hosting for me and rob one weekend but i'm not like really watching and then i try you know so i'll watch my friends when they put out a special or something like that i'll watch that but i try not to watch too much stand-up because you kind of don't want to like you get to a point you don't really want to like watch too much you don't want to like be influenced by any of that when you're young and new in comedy you want to watch all of it to kind of figure out what everyone's doing but then at a certain point you're kind of like i want to come up with this on my own and not like you know not let anything else seep into my mind so yeah. not too much but at least but plausible deniability from like well, plagiarism kind of well, thing. Well, you don't even, you just don't even want it to like seep into your head. Cause it's not just like plagiarism. It's like a thing where like maybe even if you just say something the way someone else would say it, like you don't even want that, you know? But at Skankfest, I'll watch, I'll watch a bunch of people if I get the chance to. Fuck yeah. That's another way that I think uh, uh, podcasting is a it's, a it's a little bit easier because like I can definitely I mean I'm also still like in that young and, and growing phase that you mentioned where like you know I I do a lot of watching other people's and like I watch a lot of like uh, older late night hosts like Craig Ferguson and like some of the classics as far as like just trying to pick up mannerisms and stuff like that and like how how they handle conversations how they how they introduce guests that kind of stuff. Obviously, like, again, to the, like, weirdness of the Zoom, I can't, like, introduce a guest like a late-night show host. There's just not that much energy in a Zoom call. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. 
but I think I think uh, maybe it's because the conversation's a little bit longer. Uh, you can kind you don't notice as much if somebody's like kind of picking up on other people and like kind of picking up conversations where other people were having them. Uh, but um, fuck, I was I had one more question about Skankfest, and I completely oh no, I didn't actually. Um, I was gonna bring it full circle because like one of the other things that I really appreciated about the Mises Caucus was that similar to uh, Gomez and the and the original Skankfest, like they were just kind of like we're gonna do some fucking events, like we're gonna just like d- do some things, and like most state parties spend their entire year fundraising and planning for that year's state convention. They spend all of their money. They make most of their money back on ticket sales and donations at the convention and then repeat next year. That's like the big fucking thing. And then Michael was like, yeah, we can do like half of that in 40 or 30 something states in like ourselves also. And just like, (laughs) you know, just do that. Uh, and and made it work and you know had people like you and Scott and uh, Tom Woods and like so many other people that like had never would never have shown up to a state convention three four years ago uh, showing up getting speeches and and I went to multiple like um, Mises auxiliary events that were bigger than the actual state conventions that they were like a spinoff from and it's uh, just great like that that kind of stuff I feel like instead of it being kind of like that it should be there's just like more uh you know just more events in general you know since yeah. fuck the caucus war that's kind of over now ish uh and and now it's like you know we can have the state convention and then two three four other events throughout the year where it's just like a comedian and a musician and a couple of politicians getting out in front of a thousand people and doing something cool yeah i completely agree i you know that was always to me the moment that that the Mises caucus won the caucus wars was and I know you were there was in Pittsburgh it wasn't it wasn't in Reno it was in Pittsburgh that's that's when it was over and everyone kind of knew like everyone paying attention to it kind of just knew what it was and it was this event if if people don't know it was a, a few years ago now where the um the I forget exactly how it went down but they asked the Mises caucus asked the Pennsylvania party for me to be a speaker like at the thing. And I said, I, I said, I'd come out and speak for free, by the way, I said, I'd come out and speak at the convention and like bring all of my people to the convention. And they, and they were like, no, he's too problematic. And then when they said that, I think Tom, if I, I might be misremembering this, but I think Tom Woods was already a speaker there. And then he was like, well, I'm not going to speak if Dave, isn't allowed to speak how are and you more Horton, problematic than tom yeah yeah well <laughs> well <laughs> you know <laughs> I, I i think at the time that wasn't even like a question i think i was a way more problematic one but tom's not problematic either but no or maybe it was scott horton i don't remember exactly what it was but then it was kind of like oh so uh, then it like a bunch of people just weren't gonna like speak if they wouldn't let me and then we just decided to have our own counter event and it's not just that the counter event had way more people at it. It was like the energy in it was just like insane. Like it was something like 350 people in like a, a room over like, and it was insane. And a whole, there were a whole bunch of speeches there. And then the next day they kind of like invoked this never before invoked bylaw 
to not let like half of the new people vote. And so the Mises caucus didn't win the party that year, but it was almost like, oh, but mm. the writing's on the wall yeah. that there's no way, like this is so clearly like what's, what's gonna happen in the future. And so those counter events kind of, you know, it to some degree, the old guard by trying to like deny us put gate put more energy into us when we were having these other events but then to some degree you're kind of like look like you should have just fucking let us all be a part of the event man like it didn't have to be this way yeah. none of it had to be this way like it, it, it's um you know sometimes like we were talking about before like the classical liberal caucus guys they'll be like um you know they'll be like well look the Mises caucus is terrible because look at the you know membership is down or something like that like since you know reno uh and like oh you know it is but which is bad mm -hmm. and the buck should stop with the people in charge and like i'm fine to take i sh maybe i should take some responsibility for that whoever's in charge take some responsibility for that but they're also like kind of like i was saying earlier like it's totally like missing the forest for the trees because they'll make all of these numbers and graphs and they're like look a membership was here and then it went down here and then like whatever and you're like wait hold on what are the raw numbers give me the raw numbers and like I don't know exactly what they are, but they're like, we're down from 16,000 to 13,000. And you're like, wait, we, that's what we have? Dues paying members in the nation? That's what we have? Like, yo, this is pathetically low. And it was pathetically low at your starting point, and it's pathetically low now. None of, the, like, this isn't proving anything about, like, which caucus sucks. This is proving that we all suck. We've yep. all been doing a terrible job at this. There's not like, it, it, spin it however you want to, but that's the takeaway from all of this. And the truth is that like, we can, we should all look at this and be like, whoa, we should be doing a lot better. And the reality is that if the Mises caucus had lost, let's say instead of winning every position that we were gunning for at Reno, we lost every position we were gunning for at Reno. What do you think membership would look like? I think a whole lot of people would have left, you know, I think a whole lot of people, I, I think it's still, I think it, we, we almost like reached a crescendo where no matter who won, there was going to be some people who left over it. Yeah. And so maybe the, the moral of all of that is that like, it never had to be a war. Like it could have been a healthy competition, but it didn't have to be like a war. And, and to me, from my perspective, and I'll fully admit I'm limited by my perspective on this. But I feel like the the war was declared on us, not the other way around. Like I feel I feel like the the war when you had all of the fucking the people who were in charge of the party saying that Ron Paul and Lou Rockwell and Tom Woods and me and Michael Heiss and all these people are bigots. They are alt-right Nazis. When you had that, that was like a declaration of war. Yeah. And then it was like, okay, we're fighting a war now. But it never really had to be a war. I was never at war. I, I never had a fucking prop. I never had a problem with Joe Bishop Henchman. I don't fucking know anything about the guy. My only issue was he tried to steal a state affiliate and then lied about it and then resigned in disgrace after deleting all his emails and then called us all a bunch of bigots. Like, whoa, what? Like, what the fuck is that, dude? You just got caught and now your response is to call us all racists? Like, and fuck you, I'm not a racist. Like, this is insane. And so it was always that type of thing with me. Like, I never would have known who Nick Sarwak was. I didn't care. It was all just like him coming at the people I like. So anyway, that's old shit, who cares? But I'm just saying like, maybe the moral of this whole story is that, 
we should have just been doing events together this whole time. We should have just been having like a healthy competition for what, you know, your vision for how the party should go is rather than trying to like, you know, destroy the other side. Cause once you got into de destroying the other side, it's like, okay, we had a who can destroy the other side battle and we won, we won this battle. But when, when, if you're one body and you're trying to destroy the other side, then yeah, the body is gonna be weaker after that happens. Yeah. But it would have been weaker if our side was destroyed too. It all would have been dead, you know? Like that that's just the way it is. Yeah. I mean, I, and that was kind of like <laughs> that was what I was trying to scream for the last 3 years, but like yeah. getting, getting drowned out by most of everybody else. Um there was a like six of us that were saying something <laughs> else till the end. Uh if that, I think all the way up until the end, most of us gave up by then. But um but yeah, I, I mean, it didn't have to be a war. I agree. And I, uh, for the, on record for everyone, uh, I agree. The war was declared on you. When Nick Sarwark said that, you know, Ron Paul and Tom Woods and Lou Rockwell are, you know, uh, alt-right bigots in like, what was that, 2017? Uh, yeah. That, that's what started the caucus war. What I wish had happened was a like realignment after Nick left because that was one of the things that also started the Pragmatist Caucus originally was like that's fucking ridiculous we're not culture warring we're not caucus warring we're we're gonna do a thing where it it doesn't matter if you're a radical or a, or a Mises or whatever as long as you care about getting libertarians elected that's what we're gonna do um and that was the caucus's aim but like the four loudest members were like the four dumbest fucking asshole dipshits yeah. that were and the only four people that actually had a twitter account because like literally 99 percent of the pragmatist caucus does not have a twitter account or didn't whatever uh and so like there was like six of us that did and i was the only one that wasn't like a full blue pill the dumbass and so they got all you know there was a bunch of people those other five stuck up for nick even though the rest of the caucus were like, no, we ran to replace Nick. Uh, and, and that, the, and then the, you know, it, the, it continued on as it was and the Prags kind of fell into the anti-Mesis and there was the, just a coalescence of everyone right, right. that was against you guys because it was necessary to take on the infiltration as large and as successful <laughs> as the Mises caucus takeover was. Sure, sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I wish I wish after the 2020 convention there was a like a, all right, let's see what happens. Like let's give let's give them a chance and see if they're actually better than Nick. Problem is, I think JBH is objectively more blue pilled than Nick. Um, yeah, and 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 perhaps even more more corrupt. I mean, that was like kind of the big issue. There was there were a few things that kind of like coalesced that really prevented that from being the time where there could have been some type of like healing. Um, and one of them was really the, you know, the, the, the corruption of, of, of henchmen like that, mm -hmm. like that, it was, it's really like appalling dude. When you look at it, like that, they, they really tried to like that, like, and I understand not liking New Hampshire's tweets. I've, I don't <laughs> like New Hampshire's tweets. Like I, I get that, but 
the idea of like actually defrauding and robbing from like this entire group of members is is really crazy and then to lie about it and totally misrepresent it it was like a really wild thing that they tried to do but also a big a big factor was the fact that um was was the joe jorgensen campaign and the fact that the messaging in the most important time ever for a libertarian party candidate to win and it was kind of this crazy fluke that no one saw joe jorgensen becoming the nominee you know it was like this weird thing where justin amash kind of like announced he was running and then there was all this energy behind jacob hornberger and then amash ended up backing out and then jacob hornberger ended up falling on his face and then it was kind of like well who else is there and it ended up going to to, to joe on like the third round of of voting or whatever and she wins and then her and i will say spike who i love to death is like i i consider a good friend spike cohen but her and spike both just had people on their staff who like just did not understand the moment we were living in and we're having like i mean can you imagine that during lockdowns during lockdowns while the fucking American people are having their liberties violated in a way like never before, and the, at the same time, the government is raping the American people to give trillion dollars, trillion dollar handouts to giant corporations, that your message is going to be, you know what, even if you're not racist, that's not good enough. You got to be more than just not racist, Mr. White Guy. You got to be actively anti-racist. And you're like, what? I've been under house arrest for three months and there's a riot tearing through my town. And you're telling me the issue is my my prejudice? That's the liberty, you know? And like, there was a lot of stuff like that, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, Transgenocide posts and things like this that were just really bad. And they really, to everyone with the type of sensibilities who would be in the Mises caucus, that was just like, whoa, what the fuck is this? This is not what's supposed to be representing libertarianism at all. And that kind of also drove a whole, you know, a whole wedge. And there were other things that they had that were good messaging too, but that was just so, that just so like buried all of that, and, you know? Yeah. I will this say that both of those tweets now. that you mentioned were written not by either Spike or Joe. They That's were written right. by the same person who got fired is, from the campaign. Is that true? They were both the same person? Mm -hmm. Who was it? Um, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say that one. <laughs> Tell me all there. I'll, I'll say it's the same person. I, and that I have they an idea. Ended up getting, they got fired from Spike's campaign. They didn't get fired from Joe's. Um, but... Uh, they got they got like demoted. I'll say uh, on Joe's after after that they kind of got like a little bit more. Was it a, a woman? Them. No. Um, hmm. uh, it's not who I would have guessed. But um, the thing that the thing that bugs me about that is the that most like that that was the algorithm fucking with you. Like if you go if you go on to on to Twitter and like do the advanced search and try and compare how many times. Uh, Joe or Spike tweeted about lockdowns versus racism. The the it's, it's staggeringly one versus yeah, the yeah, other. Yeah, but it only t it only takes one, man. Right. It only takes one. <laughs> Listen, I could tweet all day about the Federal Reserve being bad, and then just tweet once that I think the Nazis had a really good point, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that it's only one. Oh yeah. That's the story now. You know what I mean? Like that's like okay, but that's what you just made the whole story of your campaign. So yeah, it's I'm, unfortunate, I'm with you I suppose, there. but that's that's what it is. 
Um, before we wrap up, I want to give you chance tell people again why they should come to Skankfest, why they should listen to your podcasts, both of them, and uh, why they should buy tickets to one of your shows. You know, I don't know if you should do any of those things because I don't know your life and I can't tell you what's best for you, but that's because I'm a libertarian. But Skankfest is the best comedy festival in the world. My podcast is uh, me talking libertarian shit like no one else can do it. And uh, but come out to my live shows. They're, they're a lot of fun. And people who come out always enjoy it. ComicDaveSmith.com if you want to come uh, check any of that stuff out. As good, it was good to talk to you again, David. It's been, it's been too long, man. Fuck yeah. It was, uh, it was a great conversation. Uh, guys, definitely uh, check out the links below. Check out the, the handles that are right there. Uh, go buy some tickets for Skankfest, for comedy shows, for everything else. And then come on back here next week. We've got Austin Peterson, uh, broadcaster, former Libertarian Party presidential candidate or like for nominee. Uh, and uh, we're going to have a great conversation. Come on back. Check that out. Uh, but until then, keep up the fight. <laughs>